0: today's lesson is from Malachi it's number one of four and I during the Lord's Supper the song before the the Lord's Supper and then the Lord's Supper the talk that J- Jay gave I I wish I had given the message beforehand because knowing the message that is that is before us today. Uh, man, that Lord's Supper, it was very meaningful to me today, and I, I hope it was to you anyhow, and maybe this will expand upon it. The message you may have seen is entitled, The Table of the Lord is Despised. And that language in the Old Testament is only used in Malachi to call call the, thats um, probably a reference to the altar, the Table of the Lord. Only here in Malachi, but we just were around a table. And we uh, recognized uh, the body and the blood of Jesus as we gathered around uh, the, the Lord's table, as we call it. And I pray that uh, that because we know the love of God that was shown for us and on display for us on that cross, I hope that that, that Lord's Supper, that table, is just so very meaningful to us every time we gather around there. Um, We don't want the Lord's table to be despised. We don't want to despise the Lord in any way. When we turn to Malachi, we see a people who felt unloved. They didn't know and understand God's love for them, and therefore they despised the Lord, by bringing blemished offerings to be sacrificed. They didn't care what they were bringing to, to the temple to be made as an offering and sacrifices to the Lord God. And the question is going to come to us, do we offer our best to the Lord? And when we gather around that table, is our heart right and ready? And those words that if you don't recognize the 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 Lord, Recognize his body when we partake of that, we're eating and drinking damnation to ourselves. That is you know, we need to be offering our best to the Lord. and it really fits well with what we heard last week that that thought of um, just a, a job description and are we suited for uh, what is called for? Are we ready? Um, I don't remember the title, but a fitting sermon that we had, and this kind of gets to it. Along that same lines of, are we giving our best to God? Chapter 1 and 2, or excuse me, chapter Malachi chapter 1, uh, we're going to look at verse verses 1 and 2 right now the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. And it's interesting if your Bible notes it, Malachi means uh, my messenger. Uh, so, and, and some people think that maybe it wasn't even a, a specific name, that it was just my messenger, but it just makes very clear that this is a message from God. And he was given a message to his people. It's always true, but it's just very clear here. This is the message you better listen. Verse number two, he says, I... Have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Can you imagine that? And and if you've read through Malachi, you know that this is uh, a part of the organization of Malachi, is that God says something, and then the people's response is, well, how is that so? God gives a little bit of his character or some information about him, and then the people are like, I don't know about that. How is that? And God says, I have loved you. And the people are like, ah, how have you loved us? Because their situation was such that this is after, this is the last book of the Bible, and the, the timing is that it was chronologically it was the last. And they have returned from captivity. They have rebuilt the temple. Um, but the Messiah hasn't come. They're not yet a mighty nation. So they were still, they were wondering, well, one, you know, God, you brought us back out of, before we went into captivity, you gave us all these prophecies, all the prophets were talking about, hey, you're going to go into capti- captivity, but I'll bring you back and I'll make you, I'll rebuild you. I'll make you into a great and mighty nation better than you ever were. And they're like, this hasn't happened. Okay. You brought us back from captivity. That was nice. We were able to rebuild the temple. Jerusalem's got her walls around her now, but no Messiah, no great and mighty nation. And and so they're still under foreign control. This book actually indicates this. On down in verse number eight, it mentions um, chapter one, verse eight. It says, but when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? In the, the commentaries are clear here that the word that's used for governor was a Persian word for governor. They are still under the thumb of some foreign nation. You know, they've got their, they've got their distance, but they're still relying upon that, that foreign nation. And so they're like, you know, you got a governor. Would you offer your governor some poor sacrifice, some poor tithe, some poor tax? You know, so the indication here is that, hey, they're not a great and mighty nation. Like, remember the prophets, they talked about out of, you know, there's going to be a mountain buildup that's going to destroy all the other nations. that's going to crush all the other nations. And they're like, this hasn't happened. We're still under the thumb of Persia. Chapter two, verse number two, it says, and this is God speaking. It says, if you do not listen and if you do not take heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already. I have cursed them because you are not taking it to heart. So he's telling them, you know, things are going to get worse. I'm going to curse you, but I've already cursed you some, but you're still not paying attention. That's how God always got the attention of his people. If they fell away from him, hard times would come. Then they cry out to God, oh Lord, save us. And he would come and save them. But they're not even paying attention that they have forsaken the Lord and that they are sinning. Chapter 3, verse number 9. Chapter 3, verse 9 says, uh, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. All of you. You're robbing me, so you are cursed. So tell me how do you think things are in Israel right now in this in this day and time when Malachi is being written? Not good. On the, skip on down two more verses, in verse 11 it says, "Then I will rebuke the the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your your vine in the field cast its grapes." So the thought here of what's being presented in verse number 11 is that, well, if you repent, so he's saying, if you guys uh, turn and come back to me, he says, I will rebuke the devourer. So whatever pest has gone out into, perhaps locusts have gone out into the crops and they are devouring the crops. There is no grain. They have no food. It is being eaten by insects. It is being destroyed. Perhaps there is a drought along with this. And the idea of the, vow, the vine casting its grapes, that, that thought there is that the vine, instead of producing a good crop of grapes, is that those grapes fall off before they're ripe, before they're ready to be picked. So the situation is that is Israel is having a very bad time. They're still under foreign control. Crops are bad. The vines are bad. Nothing is going their way. That's what we know. It could have been very, very severe. I don't know how bad their situation was. I just gave you the evidence that things were bad. And so now back up to chapter one again. And, you know, and the thought there is, you know, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Perhaps things are so bad, they haven't realized that their their bad situation, their dire situation, is because they have turned away from God, and things have gotten worse and worse. They haven't realized that, and all they think is this, well, hey, you know, God, how have you loved us? We're here, the situation's not good, we're not feeling blessed, so tell us, how have you loved us? What have you done for us? A little short-sighted, aren't they? And he compares him to, to Esau, and that, um, I just want to f- finish verse number two. He says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation. So God's saying, hey, remember, folks, I chose you. I picked you. I have maintained my covenant with you, even when you have gone astray. When you have left me, I've always rescued you. I've always brought you back because I chose you. I loved you. I picked you. I'm always constant and faithful. Again, it's that steadfast love of the Lord. He is true to his covenant with them, even when they have broken it. And he reminds them by saying, hey, just look at Edom. I didn't choose them. Jacob, um, I chose Jacob, not Esau, the two twins. I chose Jacob, not Esau. And look at Esau, that land of Edom. They're in a dire situation all the time. And if they try and build back up, I'm just going to tear them back down. They are not the chosen ones. You are my people. You are my children. I chose you. So God's saying, I do love you. I do love you. I'm faithful to you. Yet you say, how have you loved me? All right, on down to verse number six. We'll get to the meat of the message here. Verse number six, let's just read this one verse, and then we'll continue reading on. Uh, God says, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you. O oh, priest who despised my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? So here's the, you know, this is a message directed, you know, right at the priest. And the, the thought is, you know, the priest, they didn't honor their father. Father, you know, God was their father. He was the, they were the sons of God. But they didn't honor their father, and they didn't fear him as master. They didn't show any respect. They didn't show any reverence to their master. And by the way, remember the thought of them being brought out of Egypt when they were brought out of the land of Egypt God was saying hey you're going to you're not going to serve pharaoh you're not going to be a slave to him anymore you're going to be my slaves you're going to serve me and I'm going to be the best master you can possibly have that was supposed to be a joyful thing to have God as our master that's a beautiful and wonderful thing but yet they don't treat him like master they don't honor him or reverence him and in fact the priests were presenting you know, because they said, well, how do we do this? You know, that's how do, how do we despise your name, dear God? The priests presented blind, uh, blind, lame, sick animals as sacrifices. It's outlined there in verses seven and eight. the Next couple of verses. So God says, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. And we'll come back to that. Verse 8 But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? You know, a direct contradiction to what the law says. You don't present, you don't take a blind animal, a sick animal, and, and bring it to God to sacrifice to Him. So, and when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? So here's a comparison that stands the test of time. You know, if we're, if we're offering to people, other human beings who are all just men like ourselves, if we're offering something great to them, and we want to give them our best, better than what we would offer even to God, then that is a that is a telling thing. That is a true test. That is not sacrifice to God. It is not pleasing. It is not acceptable to him. Some of their sacrifices were even stolen. They were blemished. They would promise one animal and give another. And that's in verses uh, 12 through 14. And I want to read read that a little bit because it mentions in verse number 12 again, this idea of the table being despised. Chapter 1 still, verses 12 through 14. But you are profaning it, in that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, uh, My, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it, or you snort at it. I think one translation says it's kind of, it's, they just despise it. It's it's too much work. It's it's not a good thing for them right now. They don't honor the table. All right, and so continuing in the middle of verse thirteen says the Lord of Hosts, "And you bring what was taken by robbery, and what is lame or sick, so that you bring the op- so that you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand?" says the Lord. But cursed be the swindler, who has a male in his flock and vows it but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. So here is the great king, the king of all kings. He is the king of the Lord of hosts. He is the king above the angels in heaven, the the armies of heaven. And people are coming to him and saying, "Uh, here's the broken lamb. Here's a sick lamb. You take it. I'm going to keep the best. And this is, this is a terrible attitude they have, unacceptable attitude that these people had. And it's just bizarre to, to even think about what they were doing, clearly violating the Lord's commands, the commandment of Moses to bring the best to God. Now, this thought about the table of God, I want to note that the the sacrifices on that were given on the altar, they are called food to God. So there's a clear connection between their sacrifices when they bring a, a lamb or an ox, whatever they were going to bring as, a, as this burnt offering. That was God's food. Leviticus 21, verse 6. You can turn there later if you want to. I'm just going to read it real quick. Now, this is in reference to... Uh, The priests are to be holy. He says, they shall not, or excuse me, verse 6, they shall be holy to their God and not profane the name of their God, for they present the offerings by fire to the Lord, the food of their God. So they shall be holy. When those priests were offering sacrifices, they are bringing food to God. That altar where they would do the burnt offerings was literally the table of God. It's where God would eat. Not that He, you know, is going to starve if it, if they don't make those sacrifices. But the point is, they are bringing food to God that was supposed to be pleasing. Even the aroma was to be a pleasing thing to God. Yet they fed God scraps, secondhand stuff, sick stuff, and they kept the best for themselves. And it goes. It takes us back to Cain. It's just like Cain. Cain he brought an he brought an offering. I don't even know if he obeyed what God said to bring, but what he brought clearly was not the best. He was keeping the best for himself. He didn't care. He was putting himself above God. These priests are putting themselves above God. They don't care about God. They care about themselves. On to verse number seven. We need to talk about this. Notice um, on my outline, it just it just says, the priests say, the table of the Lord is despised. Verse 7 says, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how have we defiled you? And God's response is this, in that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. Or the table of the Lord may be despised, or the table of the Lord uh, is despised, or is contemptible. There are all these different ways they kind of translate this one, but the basic part is just simply the table of the Lord is despised. Malachi says, in God's word, this is God speaking here, He says, the priests were saying that. Now just pause for a second, and can you imagine any priest, no matter how corrupt he may be, their job is to perform the sacrifices at the temple. Now, there's a couple of ways of interpreting this, and and it's very possible that this is, I think, I think it's possible that they weren't literally saying this, but they were just in their heart. They were, you know, they're going to make the sacrifices and oh, bring your best, bring your best. And in their in their hearts, they were saying, no, don't bring your best. It doesn't matter. They were despising the Lord's table. So it might've been a heart thing that, or a mind thing that they were just saying it, but not saying it out loud. That makes sense, right? That's what hypocrites do. They say one thing, but they're thinking another. They do one thing, but they're, in their heart, they're doing another. That may be. But I just want to ask you to consider for a second, because I get this impression that they literally were saying this. What would prompt a priest to say, no, the Lord's table is despised? If they were literally saying that, how could it happen? If they were openly stating this, what could possibly be the cause of such a heretical statement? So contrary to what is given in the law of Moses. Could they have actually been saying this out loud? People bring in sacrifices and they would say, no, the Lord's table is despised. And here here are my thoughts. Perhaps extenuating circumstances, perhaps things were so bad, as highlighted when, we, when I spoke earlier in verse number one, that they were under uh, foreign control, um, perhaps the economy is just, in our language, we would say the economy is taint. the crops have been eaten, maybe there is drought, maybe they are lacking food. Maybe things are seriously, seriously, a bad, bad time. So perhaps those extenuating circumstances—this is such as economic hardship. Maybe they would say such things as, "Well, times are bad right now." You know, imagine a priest saying this as somebody's bringing him an offering, and they're like, "I don't know what to do." Well, times are bad right now, and would God want you to put your family at risk? So go ahead and bring, you don't have to bring your best. Why don't you keep your best right now so you can take care of your family? Perhaps somebody would come to the priest, and the priest would say, well, the crops were bad this season, so just offer up what you can right now, and then maybe in the future you can you can give extra, and you can make up for it. But right now, the Lord's table, it's despised because we are in despised times. God isn't blessing us right now, so we can't bring him our best. For these despised times, the table of the Lord is despised. After all, God is gracious. He is understanding. He extends grace and love to to the thousands. So he understands. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Right now, you don't have to give your best. I I don't know how to interpret this one. Commentators really didn't go into this too much, the ones that I saw and read, and I looked at a bunch of them. But it really seems to me that that it's possible that they were literally saying the table of the Lord is despised because of tough times, the table is despised. We don't have to give our best until God starts blessing us. Then we can start giving our best again, best again. They were putting physical things above spiritual. And we know that God doesn't call us to put our trust in things we are called to put our trust in him and to obey him, even when it's hard, even when it's tough, even when there are things that we would say, well, this would kind of excuse me from doing such and such. Well, these are extenuating circumstances. This is really, really a bad, bad thing right now. So I, I think maybe we better hold up on doing this. You know, and how, how often do we put ourselves in situations and you know it's it's uh, you know it's kind of i I was hearing somebody talk about a um a car loan they haven't been making other payments on other loans but then they got a car loan you know and it's just going to make the situations worse and how can a person who puts them in difficult economic situations how are they going to be able to give to the lord like they should and give to others and give to the church like they should well i've got I'm just going through a hard time right now because I've got this payment and this payment to make. And then uh, the washing machine broke. Now I'm really in trouble. And so, you know, you know, I'm the, I'm the one who would come along and say, well, you know, you're kind of God understands I'm the mercy giver. God understands. He knows what you're going through, what these priests are doing sounds like something that I would be, uh, you know, Hey, you know, you got to take care of your kids, your family. And perhaps, you know, there's a fine line here between, you know, putting the physical above the spiritual. So I'm, I'm saying we, you know, I'm not saying any answers for anything when there's difficult times and what you're going through. But you have to make sure that you are willing always to put God above mammon. You cannot serve God in mammon. You can't serve God in stuff. Put your trust and your faith in God. So are we giving our best to God? Or do we let the world and the difficulties and difficult situations dictate what we do and how we give? And I'm not talking about just giving money. I'm talking about giving our lives, giving our praise, giving our hearts, giving our efforts, giving our time, giving our giving just from that heart, giving the Lord God all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. We love him with every ounce of our being. Are we doing that? That's what this comes down to. How much do you love God? Do you love him more than stuff? Do you love him more than life itself? On to verses nine and ten. Now oh, let me read this. Um, well, you can read this, and the the essence here is that that God, you know these these hypocrites that are that are despising the Lord and despising His table, and they're the ones who are supposed to be bringing the people closer to God. These God God says, you know what you're doing? It's just wrong. I just wish you'd stop. God preferred that someone would come along and stop the hypocrites from going through the motions of unpleasing, unacceptable sacrifices. God doesn't want sacrifices made if they're not the best. Consider, again, Cain and Abel. Consider these people, given sacrifices, but god it's just stirred God's wrath and his anger. Then verse 11. Um... Let me read 10 with it. Oh, that there were one of you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, that's the whole earth, across the whole earth, from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, Incense is going to be offered into my name and a grain offering that is pure, for not my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So, God, in this passage, is thought it's, it's God saying, You know, right now, you guys are despising my name, you're, you're giving me a bad name. This is disgusting what you guys are doing, but hey, there's a day coming. When my name is going to be made great across the entire world. Among all the nations, my name will be glorified. I will be magnified. My name will be above all other names and people will esteem me highly. The Lord anticipated a time that would be true. And that time came when Jesus ushered in his kingdom. So, That anticipation of time includes us. We are the ones, you know, and I'm looking at a a family of God here on my computer screen. We are the ones who are called to be honoring God and lifting up his name among the nations so that all people would realize there is one God and he is great. And all this other stuff in the world that we just tend to seek after and search after all of that is junk, and the only thing that matters is that you know Jesus Christ, and you love him, and you serve him. We are the ones to be examples of that. We are the ones who are called to not be the hypocrites. We are the ones who that when we are called to make sacrifice and make offerings to God, that they are the very best and we show everybody that we are going to honor God in a great way because he gave his life for us so the question comes what are the sacrifices and offerings that we make you know I'd ask you to consider this what it what is it and you can kind of run through your head right now you can think about this you can write things down later make a list you can go online. I don't care if you Google it. But what are the sacrifices that Christians are called to make? What are the offerings that we make to God? You know, and that would include things like money. You know, are we showing God that we're willing to give the best of our money, the first fruits of the, our crop that we bring in? We're willing to give him the best. We're not going to hold any of it back. We want to, you know, and I got the reference here of the widow in a second. She was willing to give all. She wanted God to know how much she loved him and appreciated him. She knew she was loved by God. She knew that she could trust God. She was willing to give everything to God. That widow's might, she gave it up. And she said, God, I trust you with my life. What are the sacrifices and offerings we make? What about our time? What about our worship? When we come together and worship, where where is our mind? Are we giving our very best and our thoughts? The fruit of the the, the sacrifice we make is the, the fruit of lips that give praise to his name. You know what are what are we giving to God? Are we giving our very best? Are we concerned more about physical things or are we just putting putting all our what, what's the what's the word all of our cards all of our all of our money I guess it's like a bet right. Not a great uh, uh, analogy here but where, what are we putting what where, where are we putting our trust in. Let's put all of our trust in God. Let's give him all of our life, all of our heart. Let's give him our very best. Let's be like Abel who gave his very best, the first fruits of the the offering of his flock. Let's be like the widow who gave all that she had to live on. Let's not hold back. Let us not fear. Let us not give in to and care the, the cares of the world or the concerns about the riches of life. Let's just trust Jesus. And I tell you, and I know how hard it is to do, but let's keep that before us today. God doesn't want anything less than our best. And if we just trust him, and give him our very best he will bless us richly and um, those showers of blessing will come upon us it's not a promise for this life that everything's going to go perfect and you'll be rich and you'll have a a boat that you can ride around in on the in the bahamas or something like that but the promise is that we are going to have peace and wholeness in our lives, and for all eternity to come, we will live and be in the presence of the Lord. There is no greater hope, no greater blessing. So give God your best. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, mind, and strength. There's anybody out there today who hasn't given your life to Jesus? Do it because in Him there is peace and hope and meaning in life and fullness of life, and you will never regret trusting in Jesus as your Savior. If you need to respond to Him today, you need to give your life to Him. Find a way to do that. Get a hold of me. Get a hold of somebody else. But give your life to Christ. And all the rest of us, give your best. Let's be encouraged as we sing this song.